welcome everybody to our first podcast, El Desvio. Many roads, one destination. We are your hosts. Yo soy Jose Valga. Yo soy Andrea Arenas. And for the next half hour, we will discuss the issue that has been making headlines for the past few weeks. Racial and economic inequality. Black Lives Matter, how COVID-19 has played a critical role in shedding light on systemic racism. And how do we see our role? Yes. What is our role as a Latino community? How can we support the Black Lives Matter movement? And to help us examine these important topics, we are fortunate today to have with us Janella Hines, UFT Vice President for Academic High Schools and the Secretary Treasurer of the New York City Central Labor Council. And Esmeralda Flores, Immigrant Rights and Binational Affairs Advocate with the American Civil Liberties Union in San Diego. Gracias, Janela. Gracias, Esmeralda, for being with us today. As a community, we are facing incredible challenges. So let's start by looking at the global pandemic and how it has affected our nation. Yes, our entire nation, but in particular, black and brown community. We have read about the pre-existing conditions that made some people more vulnerable to contracting COVID-19. However, the underlying issue here goes far beyond predisposed genetics. Janela, ayúdanos a entender esto un poco mejor. Tú vives entre dos mundos. You are black and you're also Latina. What is your perspective on the impact that COVID-19 has had on black and brown communities? Andrea, it has been fascinating to live in this space where we see the intersection of the economic crisis and the healthcare crisis and the crisis of racism all coming together in this unprecedented pandemic. And living in New York, I have the opportunity to see how communities are fluidly dealing with all of these crises at the same time, right? Our essential workers, many of whom are black and brown, um, are folks who are making sure that we are getting from one place to the next safely on public transportation are black and brown. So these are the people that are um, at the biggest with the biggest um, crisis um, facing them and coming at them 24 hours a day while many of us have had the opportunity to stay home. In addition, what we've seen is that COVID-19 has substantial effect on people who have underlying health conditions. And if we look at Black people and Latino people, we see that many of us are carrying the heart disease and the pulmonary issues and the high blood pressure and the diabetes that allows for COVID-19 to take root and to cause higher incidence of death and um, long-term health issues. And so um, it's been fascinating to see how all of this has come together in this one time um, and how people have taken to the streets in the aftermath of the George Floyd killing day after day after day after day to call for justice, particularly for Black people. But we know that this is touching so many communities across the nation that we have to call out this need for justice and for fairness in our system. 
Well, a, a lot to dissect there, right? And Miranda, we've seen that younger generations have been increasingly involved in advocating for justice, especially around social change. Why do you think that those inequities faced by the Latino community have been highlighted as a result of the pandemic? And do you think they play a role in all of these recent protests that we're facing? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for the invite. Um, es un gusto estar aquí con ustedes. So I would just echo what Janela said, like implicit and explicit racism has often driven our government response, particularly to health crisis. So that neglect around like communities of color, where most of our communities of color are under-resourced, um, underinsured, and they have, uh, and obviously this comes to these cases that are communities of color have higher rates of pre-existing conditions, which makes them more vulnerable to diseases like COVID-19. And we also know, as also Janela mentioned, that uh, most of our essential workers or the workers that were deemed essential during this pandemic are people of color. And black and brown communities are more, we know that most of our black and black communities are in low wage and no benefit jobs. Um, so they're not able to stay home. They don't have the same protect, protections and privilege as other communities um, do. So most of them have to work outside of their homes and are more likely to get sick from COVID and are more likely to bring it into their, their families and their, their close network. So basically what you both are saying is that this is, this is how we could define or put a face, if you will, to systemic racism. Because I think that there's a lot of people across our country who are struggling maybe in understanding what this systemic racism is. Janela, let's go back to you. How do you think we can, we can better explain what this systemic racism is? ¿Dónde lo vemos? And, ¿Y cómo nos afecta? We can explain it by thinking about how people with darker skin who speak different languages, who have textures of hair that is um, more kinky, that, that have different practices in their culture, often have to face many more obstacles to accomplishing their goals. They're not going to be given the benefit of the doubt. They're not necessarily going to be granted the same opportunities as people who are closer to the default of the Eurocentric standard. So people who have lighter skin, people who have straighter hair, people who have lighter eyes, oftentimes are going to be given the benefit of the doubt and opportunities for advancement that people who don't have those phenotypical descriptors will ever have. And it It is so complex that I know if we were to have a conversation about Pelo Malo or um, Avanza la Raza or Stay Out of the Sun, Don't Get Too Dark, right? We, all of us are nodding because we've all heard those, those statements from, um, or those phrases from our family members who thought they were doing the, re the best thing for us, right? They, they were bringing us up with an understanding of how the world works. And now in 2020, we really have to examine what those, those messages have done to us as Latinos right. um, and as people who are disenfranchised in this society. It's a conversation that could go on for days, right, as we start to explore this. Because racism among the Latino community 
is something that's prevalent. It's something that we almost never discuss among ourselves, right? You, you talk about, and you, you talk about how Puerto Ricans view Dominicans who may be a tad darker, right? How Dominicans view Haitians that even though they share the same island, have this thing, racial divide between them. So yeah, racism, we, we got to look at our own house, as we move forward, but I mean, I like that. You're on the Mexican border that you share, right? That the U.S. Mexican border, right? And I can and I can only imagine that racism manifests itself there on a daily basis, right? How do you see that racism in the context of COVID nineteen? It's been interesting here, as I, as you mentioned, like I'm based at San Diego, which is a border with Tijuana. Uh, in Mexico, and we have like the most transitated border in El Mundo. Like there's no other border that has as many crossings as we do between Tijuana and San Diego every day, all day. But yeah, I think uh, when we come, when we talk about COVID-19 and like the intersectionality of other issues, for example, something that's very particular to border regions is that a lot of folks who can't afford to live and pay rent in San Diego, they go to Tijuana and they live there. And for the same amount that they would rent an apartment, a one-bedroom apartment here in San Diego, they, they can probably rent a house with like three bedrooms. Um, so we have a lot of everyday commutes from between Tijuana and San Diego and a lot of students who also cross almost every day to school and things like that. Um, so one of the things, one of the most affected communities in San Diego has been the South Bay, which is the closest region to the border. And a lot of the messaging has been that um, they're trying to blame Mexicans um, who are crossing every day. And right now our border crossing is restricted. So technically only citizens and lawful permanent residents can cross. And those who have a work visa and are providing like uh, an essential who are deemed essential workers too during this time. So it's really interesting to see that even though we have like a really close and a restriction at the border, we're still, people are still blaming Mexicans or people who cross the border as the, as the source or the main reason for this spike in the South Bay communities um, and not addressing the issues that most of, uh, most of the uh, South Bay communities are essential workers, are healthcare workers, um, and they have also like the largest uh, unemployment rates right now during this crisis. So we always decide to not address the other, the underlying conditions, but we find someone to blame. And I think that's really, really easy to do in the border region, sadly. Um, so we have been trying to counter that messaging with folks, but it's it's been it's been a challenge. It's on the field because even um, uh, even like uh, hospitals are taking that stance that it's uh, people who are crossing the border who who bring like the disease into into our communities. And when you see the rates in Mexico, the states who are most affected are the border states. We don't have the same rates uh, in southern Mexico. Not to say that they're free, they're free of COVID-19, but you can see the most affected states, except from like Mexico City, um, is todos los que estamos en la frontera, no? And I think it's because of that uh, commute and that intersection and that dynamic that just exists around the border and, and that it has been existing for a long time and it's going to continue to exist. 
And Esmeralda, just to follow up question, you mentioned you, you've been trying to, to change this. Has this changed regarding immigrants allegedly bringing the virus from Mexico? Has it been through information, through education? And in that regard, do you feel like this position from certain people on the U.S. border has been exacerbated in recent years or has it always been there and foreigners are basically el chivo expiatorio? Yeah, I think I think that's that has always been the case. Um, the way that we've been trying to address uh, the issue is to stay focused on the conditions and the lack of uh, social uh, inequ- inequities that we have within our communities. Because um, obviously, uh, people in like in, a, in La Jolla, which is like a very wealthy community here in San Diego, um, they they have a lot of different resources than our communities in the South Bay have. Um, so it's not, it's, and you could see it, we could see it because when we, a lot of people called in a few weeks ago to the Board of Supervisors meeting and all the people from wealthy communities, they were asking for, they were just tired of like this restriction and they needed their kids to go back to sports. They needed their daughters to go back to ballet and they needed haircuts and they needed to go to the beach and all of these things that aren't essential. While we have communities who are asking for other protections, like they, they shouldn't be evicted because they cannot pay, uh, pay their rent during this time. They shouldn't be, they should have unemployment protections because it was out of their hands to be out of work. Um, so you could see clearly the priorities of different communities here in San Diego. And sadly, our Board of Supervisors often chooses to hear those more privileged than those who are actually demanding basic, essential human necessities to survive during this pandemic. We are, you know, July is the month in which we celebrate our nation's birthday. So back to Janela, do you think that we've made substantial progress as a nation in guaranteeing basic human rights, as Esmeralda just mentioned, meaning education and tools to thrive for certain minorities? We take steps forward and we take steps backward, right? Um, the protections that were offered to the Dreamers a couple of weeks ago with the Supreme Court decision, that is a phenomenal step forward, right? Because it's, it's allowing for the protection of people who have done everything right, allowing them to contribute to the society as they always have, right? And we've seen steps forward around LGBTQ people, making sure that they get the health care that they need. Meanwhile, we're seeing some serious issues around policing and the ways in which public servants who are supposed to be ensuring everyone's safety are interacting with communities across the country. And so we're seeing crackdowns of people who are playing the violin in Colorado or crackdowns against people who are celebrating pride in New York City or anger against people in California who are speaking out against the unfair death of a young person who was killed by the police. This is happening over and over and over and over and over again. And it's really important for these kinds of interrogations to take place, interrogations, a tough word, right? But interrogations to take place, yeah. we think about how this system is currently structured and how to better structure it so that there is justice for all in this country. 
So you know what? It's is Janella that that's incredible because it just seems to me that for every step forward that we take, we take ten steps backwards, right? And it's it's incredible that that we're still having some of these same conversations that we've been historically having for years and years and years. And Miranda, how do you see? Some of the gains that we get, it almost seems like they they're, we, they give us a little bone and then the bone drops and you have to start again from point A. How do you see that, especially in, in light of all of these young students, young workers coming out in this movement around police brutality? And, and we'll use that as a, as a broad term, right? How do you see them playing into all of this and the gains and the loss that we've made over the centuries? I think I think they're essential. I I think the youth are our hope. They have done like so many great things. Um, I think we should be definitely taking their lead and supporting all of the efforts and social advocacy they have been doing for 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 quite a while. So I think it's it's important to to follow their lead to support. They have all great ideas. They have like new ideas and they're not afraid to try new things, which I think always leads to change. So I think that they're a vital. I think they're a vital part. Uh, but something that I also wanted to add of, of, to what Janela was saying, I think even do, like during this practice, we have seen the inequities and kind of like a little bit of racism too in the way police departments have been chosen to implement some of the, for example, stay-at-home orders here in San Diego about a month ago, I think, even no, more than a month ago, some folks did a, a, a protesta outside of the detention center in Otaimesa. And they all stayed in their cars. It was just a caravan. They were outside. And then three people were cited for violating the stay-at-home order. Um, and this was back, I think, in May. And then I think about a week later, all of these people, mostly white people, held a protest in downtown San Diego because they just wanted to go out and eat and get haircuts. And they were not socially distancing. It was an in-person, people outside of their cars without masks, and nobody was cited. So even then, you can see how we also had the incident of a young Black woman who was walking her dog at the beach, and she was violently arrested to our, by, our, by our law enforcement. So even in, in, in like little things like that, como en cosas tan pequeñas, como en como implementamos las, las cosas para ciertas comunidades en algo tan sencillo como eso tan solo nos da como una entrada pequeña a todas las eh, diferencias y todas las distinciones que se hacen en los distintos eh, sistemas que tenemos de salud, de trabajo de, de educación etcétera, entonces we can understand how systemic racism is racism, it's embedded in our society and sometimes it's it's hard to address because it's it can be so minor but it's there it's always there and it has always been there and the systems are designed to to make sure certain people succeed while others don't absolutely fascinating right the system is built in such a way as you just said but at the same time we've seen protests that initiated with the death of uh, George Floyd they took place all over the country, right? All 50 states across our nation saw at least one, right? Even in some towns that are predominantly white. So we see that there is a collective um, consciousness for change, uh, for justice. Janela, where would you say is the disconnect between what we want as the people and, and that system that continues? 
Does it boil down to, as you say, the color of skin? Where is the disconnect? Why are we not being able to, to change this? I, I think it's so embedded, in, Andrea, in, in, in our experiences, in, in our upbringing, in our culture. It's everything. It's everything. It's, it's in the way that we refer to um, the people who are providing services for us. It is, um, it's in the descriptions that we give, right? If we're describing someone, if we're describing someone who's white, we usually don't say, oh, she's white and she has straight hair. And we, we don't use those kinds of descriptions. We add descriptors when we're talking about somebody who is not considered the default. And we all have this automatic default that we go to that's embedded in whiteness. So how, how do we unpack that? How do we, how do we push against that in a way that allows all of us to change and grow positively? And it's hard. It's really, really difficult to, to think differently about the ways you're going to describe other people, about the experiences that you're going to have, about the the um the default that we all go to with regard to beauty and culture and food and noise right like it just a quick aside everybody's upset about the fireworks right and in some places there's an assumption that it's the black and latino kids who are causing all of this ruckus with these fireworks. Some conspiracy theorists that I know are saying that the availability of these fireworks in a time of pandemic when people aren't really moving around very much seems a little bit strange. And it's also a little bit strange that it's not just happening in urban areas, it's happening in suburban areas. It's happening all across the country, right? And so it's really easy to say, I wish those black and brown kids would shut up so that I can get some sleep, not thinking that there may be some other actors at play in trying to destabilize how all of us are in interacting with each other at a time when everybody's trying to come together, right? So I, th I think it's, it's a really, really fascinating time to think about how people are interacting with each other and how change happens and how long it takes to really affect those kinds of changes so that people's behavior, people's thought patterns and people's um, speech change also. And, and just to follow up, uh, Janelle, can we look at another country, another nation who has maybe is, has gotten there? Do we have a role model? I think that this is an international issue. You know, I think, I think when we think about how people are interacting with each other and how particularly people of African descent, but also anybody who's considered an outsider is pushed to the side, is left to their own devices, is treated like they're not human. That's happening internationally. And so part of the, the call for Black Lives Matter is, well, nobody can say that all lives matter if Black lives don't matter, right? You can't say all lives matter if LGBTQ lives don't matter. You can't say all lives matter if immigrants and their lives don't matter, right? So we're, we're calling you out on your fake... Um, 
your fake activism for all lives and equality and justice, right? Um, because we understand that the experiences that we're living are grounded in injustice and a lack of fairness and inhumanity. That's fascinating, right? Because, and we should take a couple of seconds on this, right? So there's a perception that to say Black Lives Matters means that everybody else doesn't matter. What do we do to help change that narrative, right? Because I think that we have helped that narrative at different points. What do we do collectively, right, as a society to help change that narrative? Yeah, I think, and going back a little bit to the last question, I think also it's hard to have change when the people in power don't represent the people don't really represent the people they're supposed to be representing. Like here in San Diego, we have a, we have a board of supervisors. They're all white. Um, they're all white. Some of them have been in, in that position for over like 10 to 20 years because until like we did like one amendment and now we get to reelect them and they have terms. But before that, they were basically there for life. So it's really important. And we've seen how when people decide to run for office when they see something in their community that they don't like, that they know how it could be improved and they've been running for office, that has make, made a lot of change in our communities. So it's really important to have people who actually represent the community that they, they are going to be advocating for. I think that's something that we've seen lately with all of the women who have been running and all of uh, Black people and brown people who have been running for office lately. They've created some change and they're starting important conversations at levels that some of us aren't able to, to access. So I think that's also an important point. But yeah, when it comes to addressing, it's really, it's really frustrating, honestly, to be as, as, as a Mexican, um, to hear friends, all lives matter and, like, and things like that. And to have to reduce the conversation to a really like basic level and, and, and give them, give them like this example. I don't know if you've seen him, like this meme that has been going around, which has like a, a person who's throwing water at their house because it's burning. Um, and then someone else comes and says like, but my house matters too. And I'm like, well, yeah, but my is burning. So, but my house matters too. And that's how kind of like you have to explain it to people. Like we're not saying que tu vida no importa o que la mía es más importante. We're saying that right now what's happening, we need to address this issue and we all need to come together and support. And I think it's really important for Latinos, especially non-Black Latinos, um, to sit down, listen, and follow the lead of those who have been uh, at this fight for many, many years, or, or even if they just started, it's, it's really different. And we tend to, one of the things that I've been really sad and like angry about is that we tend to compete and oppression is not a competition. Like I've seen a lot of people saying that, that oh, well, we're, we're, why didn't anyone like march for like, you know, like los niños en las jaulas el año pasado. Like nadie, nadie protestó tanto por los niños en las jaulas and for like immigrant, immigrant um, children in, in cages. And I'm like, we did. But even you as a Latino didn't get involved in that fight. And now you're criticizing folks for standing up. We really need to have a conversation in the Latino community about just listening and learning and stop competing with other causes. Because the one thing that the youth, as you mentioned uh, 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 previously, Jose, um, they have been great. Um, uh, La Juventud uh, ha hecho like un gran trabajo 
and, and in being inclusive and intersectional in all of their fights. And that's something that we all could, could uh, learn from them. That's fascinating, and it's it's. I love the, the the message of solidarity and sticking together that you just gave. And now, uh, Janela, let's throw the same question at you, please. I would just. Um, I love that example of the house that's on fire um, because it it just brings to it brings such clarity to what we're actually talking about. Another example that I've heard is about in October we're all decked out in pink for breast cancer awareness. And nobody has an issue with that. At that time, we're not talking about other forms of cancer that cause death and destruction. We are all focused on the need to reduce the incidence of breast cancer among our communities. Why is it different for us to look at how Black people are treated differently in this country? And as Esmeralda said, I think this, this whole piece about the, the different ways that this is all connected, I am clear that putting people who are immigrants in cages on the border is one step in a larger movement to otherize all of us, right? And so you see who you can pick off with different actions and you see if people will rise up and speak out and if they do then oh we can't go that far let's try another route but it's all connected it's all connected and if you look at the the history of this country and the ways in which latinos asians lgbtq people and people of african descent not to mention the indigenous first nations people on whose land we all are that that has been stolen from them um, it, it has been this whole movement to advance one group of people at the example of every other group of people. And that's why our solidarity is so critical. So this solidarity that we, we're creating, right? And, and that has to be part of our day-to-day -day interaction. We have a lot of young folks out there marching, stepping up to the plate. You see them every single day. What, do we, what can we share with them to ensure that they stay safe? during this time around, you know, with the COVID pandemic still looming, right? And we're not free of that. But at the same time, that they stay safe in the community that they're marching with, what can we offer them in terms of information that will keep them safe, still engaged in this movement? Emeralda. I think, uh, first of all, we all need to acknowledge that we all uh, don't need to do everything. So there's a role for everyone during this fight. So if for some reason you're not comfortable marching, that's okay. There are plenty of ways to engage in the fight. Um, that's not that's not that's not the only one. Um, so it's really. Um, but if you do decide, obviously taking precautions as as you would in any other march. Um, right now, obviously wear your face mask. It's it's kind of hard to do social distancing, but try to do it as much as you can. Other recommendations have been to, for example. Another thing that we've seen, at least here in San Diego, and I think it, it happened in um, certain uh, places nationwide, we saw ICE and Border Patrol collaborating with local law enforcement to in these marches. So it's really important if you're not a citizen, if you're either undocumented or you have other, like a visa or are a permanent resident, know the risk of getting detained. So if that's not a risk that you're willing to take, again, that is fine. There are other ways to get engaged. But always know that 
um, local law enforcement, and it's not always transparent, and we know, we don't always know about it. They sometimes work with immigration agencies, and we we saw it a couple of weeks ago um, here in San Diego um, and in other places throughout the nation. So it's really important to know that that that's always a risk. And then always try to go with someone so that you have a body, you don't get lost from each other. Uh, make sure you, you memorize phone numbers and other uh, of people that you, you would call in an emergency or write it down with Sharpie in, one of, in a visible part of your body. And then the other thing would be one of the efforts that has been going on here in San Diego and, and throughout a lot of cities too has been local bail funds to bail out of uh, folks who have been arrested during this practice. So having that number available too, it's important in case you, in case you need it. Um, record. We're trying to advise folks not to go live because we need to respect people's privacies. And also when you are going to publish or post photos, uh, try to black out the faces of, of protesters to, to keep them safe because we've seen reports of police going after after folks who have, have been open about it and, and social media. What are the final, what are your final thoughts or let's say uh, the moraleja that we can leave listeners with? Can, what can they take away from this important discussion that we've had today? Um, and Janela, let's start with you. I hope that we take away from this conversation the ongoing need for, for our honest and direct conversations. It's not easy to have these kinds of conversations. It's not easy for us to unpack those um, beliefs that have been embedded um, in our culture for, for generations. Um, but it's, it's essential that we do that so that we build true solidarity um, and so that we are able to bring about a better society in the United States than we currently have. And um, I'm proud to be a member of the labor movement involved in this important work and so grateful to you, Jose, and to Andrea for, for this phenomenal conversation and for Esmeralda engaging in this amazing conversation about what our next steps are. Esmeralda, what's, what's the moraleja that you can tell us uh, that, that we can take from this conversation we've had today? Um... I think same as, as Janela, having those discussions, especially within like the Latino community, um, it's really important. It's really important to inform ourselves, um, inform our loved ones. Um, and something that I've noticed within the Latino community, we're not really informed of what happened. We tend to stay with the kind of like the headline. Vemos el título de la noticia, and that's where we get like information. And we need to be, um, we need to be informed before really making a statement or making public statements or judging or having an opinion about a movement. Um, you need to know what's really going on and not getting, and also find like trust uh, worthy resources. Like I've seen people quote crazy articles, people who like not trustworthy news, um, news source. So it's really important also to be mindful of where you're getting your information in order to make sure like it's correct. Um, and the other thing that I would add is again, like stop trying to create like this competition between movements and just uh, go deeper and realize the intersection between everything, because this isn't just between uh, black and brown communities. It's not just between 
uh, immigration and uh, between like law enforcement agencies and local law enforcement agencies. Uh, we also saw how the healthcare system, education system, even renters protections throughout this pandemic affect us or affect all of us in different ways. Uh, but it, but they do so. An issue is never one just is never just una cosa. Um, it always has like a lot of little uh, things. Um, so we need to be mindful of that. Y, you know, be, uh, estar dispuestos a aprender un poquito y seguir el liderazgo um, de gente que ha hecho esto, de gente que sabe. Aprender a escuchar, I think, is really important for our community. Learn to listen, because I think we're just waiting to people, we're just waiting to people to be down to try to refute what they're saying without not really listening to what they're saying. So I think just having those conversations, being supportive, um, solidari uh, solidaridad is muy importante. Um, and stop competing, um, stop putting issues against each other when we're all basically, we're all, we're all fighting the same system and we need to uh, take it from there. So, 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 Emeralda, I could not have said that any better. I'm going to plug our podcast here because what you explained is actually what this video is about. There's a lot of different roads out there, right? And this is our opportunity as community to take different roads, right? And to figure out where those roads will take us together. I thank the both of you for our initial, being our first guest on our initial podcast. Estamos bien agradecido that you spend this time with us. We are in complex moments. And in order to tackle this, we must come together as a community and have some really difficult conversations or we must have them if we're going to move forward together. Gracias. Thank you for being here. Until the next podcast. Andrea. Thank you, Esmeralda. Thank you, Janella. And thank you to all our listeners. Having these discussions, learning about the issues and struggles that our communities face can help us generate awareness and explore countless possibilities. El Desvío, Many Roads, One Destination, is a production of the Labor Council for Latin American Advancement, the leading national organization for Latino workers and their families. Our focus is to organize and mobilize Latinos in the labor movement in an effort to impact workers' rights and their influence in our nation's political process. For more information, visit www.lacla.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at LACLA.